So, you want to save the planet. In just a matter of months, more than 100 world leaders will gather in Glasgow, Scotland for COP26. There, they will make some of the biggest decisions yet on how to tackle climate change and set out plans that will change the way we all live our lives forever. But that's the big picture. What can we do to help now? I'm Lewis Mickey. And I'm Natalie Crawford Goodwin. And this is So You Want to Save the Planet. The Planet and Your Health. We're all keen to try and be more climate conscious and to put some of the things we've learned in this podcast into action. But there's got to be balance and our health is something that is always key with balance. Exactly. There's not too much point going so hard at being a climate hero just to end up being ill or not feeling yourself. But equally, by becoming more green, we can actually end up seeing health benefits without even realising it. For example, if you start cutting out those shorter car trips and walking or cycling instead, like we talked about in episode one, then that's going to be helpful for your health. And last week we talked all about our cities and we heard about low emission zones. These are something that has a double benefit. You can cut out some of the carbon, which is good for the planet, but it's also good for the lungs of the people living in city centres. Exactly. So on that note, I've been speaking again to Gavin Thompson from Friends of the Earth Scotland, who explained some of the links between our health and measures for being more eco-friendly. So we've known for a long time that air pollution really damages our health and our lungs. It can kill us prematurely. There's emerging evidence on how it damages our brains and our cognitive functions as well. And that's mainly from traffic fumes. That's what's causing the pollution. So the groups that are most at risk are children and the elderly and people with pre-existing health conditions. Low emission zones, which are going to begin restricting vehicles in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Aberdeen and Dundee in 2024, were initially announced in 2016 and are a response to Scotland breaching legal limits, which they've been doing since 2010. So just to put that into context time-wise, if you were born in 2010, and let's say near a main road or in a major city in Scotland, the air pollution would have been illegal. Your lungs would have been developing while you're breathing in illegal air and you're 14 by the time anything meaningful is happening to restrict those fumes. So that's pretty scandalous, really, when we know that air pollution can limit lung development, it can cause asthma, it can exacerbate asthma, things like that. And I suppose we talk about so often the speed at which these things happen and maybe the pandemic actually gives us a good example of how quickly we were able to change things because of that or how quickly we were able to put things in place. Do you think that shows that actually some of these things can happen a lot more quickly if governments really want to do them? I think that's one of the lessons from the pandemic. Yeah, definitely that government and complex systems can move quickly when it needs to because it needs to move quickly for climate change and to reduce emissions. And we've known that for a long time. The world's on fire and we need to move quickly. I would say alongside that, that a lot of the measures for things like spaces for people and and widening pavements and things like that that we've seen introduced quickly in some of Scotland's cities, which have been great. One of the things you lose when you introduce things quickly is the ability to consult local residents, but in particular, marginalised groups. 
some groups representing people with disabilities feel really excluded from a lot of the Spaces for People programme, but more generally the discussion about how we plan our streets and particular our cities. So what I'd say is like there's a real need to put marginalised groups at the centre of discussions and the way that we think about how we live and how we're planning for a post-carbon future. So you want to save the planet? There must be a bit of a balancing act when it comes to the health and our climate, though, especially for our hospital and medical professionals. Well, exactly. I mean, look back at this pandemic we've just come through. Our doctors and our nurses and all the other people working in the medical fields are looking to keep people healthy and to save lives. But there are folks in the background who find new ways that they can do that, but keeping it as climate friendly as possible. And I can't imagine that that is an easy task, but like all the different walks of life we've discussed through this series, I feel as though there's some things that are quite simple to change, but others that come with a lot more complexity. Yes, so let's hear about how hospitals get green from Debjani Sarkar, who is a sustainability support officer at NHS Grampian. We look at various aspects. So we look at how we're powering our hospitals and the carbon emissions from that. We look at the waste that we're producing and looking how we can reduce our waste and encourage more recycling where possible. We're also looking at the procurement of items, ideally trying to look local as much as possible. But obviously, with it being a healthcare facility, sometimes you do have to go a bit further afield to get certain bits of equipment. We look at our catering as well. We try and source local foods, local suppliers, and try and try and eat seasonally if we can. We look at a range of aspects, actually, uh, to try and improve the sustainability of our hospitals. Just in terms of when you're doing that, I mean, how difficult is it finding a bit of a balance? Because, of course, in terms of healthcare, you need to deliver it the best that you can. And I suppose you can't have any shortcomings for that. So, you know, how difficult is it to find a balance? It can be quite difficult because obviously as a healthcare provider, that is our top priority. So it's about trying to find sustainable practices that don't affect any of our services in that way. It can be a bit of a challenge, especially if some of the technology might be a bit more expensive to finance so we might have to look at cheaper options but we try and look at whole life costing of things as well so spend a little bit now for it to last and be better for the environment as well so it can be difficult to juggle those two aspects. And what are maybe some success stories of ways you've found to do things that are more sustainable that you feel that's worked out really well? A lot of it comes from just actually educating our own workforce. For example, we have vastly improved recycling from our theatres because we would take equipment, it would be unpackaged in a clean room and that would actually go into our clinical waste before. But we're, we've actually just had a sit down, looked at how their practices are going and saying, well, actually, a lot of this is recyclable. How about we just introduce some recycling into our theatres? And that's actually saved a lot of money because it is a lot cheaper to actually recycle items than it is to get rid of healthcare waste. And I mean how much of it is sometimes just educating people and, and maybe letting people know things they might just not otherwise have known? It's actually a huge part of it I think because sustainable practices have been around for a long time it's just about telling people that there is an alternative available. One of the things that does happen and I think it's I think any kind of public sector can be quite guilty for this is it's the mentality that this is how we've done something and this is how we've always done it. 
it's behaviour change. It's about encouraging a slightly different practice that's more sustainable. So a huge part of our sustainability is about trying to encourage more sustainable practices and changes of behaviour. It can be done. I mean, people used to gripe and moan about having to take their own shopping bags when they went shopping and it's now considered the norm so it's about trying to get that sort of success story happening in healthcare as well. And is there anything that you might look to do in the future that maybe isn't possible now but you hope to be able to do in the next few years? Certainly in a power sense we'd be looking at some of the technologies that are available so certainly I'm quite keen to look into hydrogen because it would be great if we could use green hydrogen to power our hospitals but as it is the tech around there is really expensive so if we can find something that could work especially for a hospital campus as big as the Forrester Hill Health Campus that would be great if we can get that. So you want to save the planet? I wanted to hear a little bit more about how it really works practically for nurses and doctors and everything like that in a hospital and how they're looking to become more green. But then I also wanted to know, going back to what Gavin Thompson said, basically about how some of these things that we're doing because of climate change actually have a benefit for our health. And maybe that's just a coincidence and it's just a secondary reason to do these things. You know, I'm talking there about changing our diets up or walking instead of doing a short journey or of course eliminating these carbon emissions in our city centres. So I went to the Royal College of Physicians. They put me in contact with Marion Slater and we just had a chat about all those sorts of things and uh, it was pretty interesting. Also what she had to say about how just some of the more basic things when it comes to the NHS and how staffing areas for example for doctors and nurses are treated, how they can be improved when it comes to sustainability and when it comes to just being more eco-friendly. So let's go and have a chat with Marion. I think as doctors we have a big role to play, all healthcare professionals have a role to play and I think that comes across in different facets. So on a personal level we can all make a contribution and think about how we travel to work, what food we take to work and how we live our own lifestyles. But I think as doctors we have a particular role in looking after the health of patients And there's no doubt that climate change is having a major environmental impact on health. And I wonder, in terms of that balance, obviously your your priority is always going to be your patients and and their health. So how is it to find a balance between trying to be more sustainable but not letting that negatively affect any of the care that you provide? I think it's important for us as clinicians to think about how we record communication with patients. Across NHS Scotland, we're moving to paperless notes and all notes will be recorded electronically. We can also think about the investigations we do and whether they are necessary to do or not. And I think the NHS and the NHS supply chain must be innovative around the sustainable recycling of personal protective equipment, which has certainly been a huge factor over the last 18 months of the COVID pandemic. And some of the topics that we've covered so far in the in the podcast, there seems to be things where people suggest doing them or they're doing them to kind of help the climate. But you see that maybe that actually has a, a benefit in terms of people's health as well. So, for example, we were you know talking about cutting out smaller car journeys and walking or cycling instead. And then we also talked about foods and, you know, people who are maybe going flexitarian or vegetarian and things like that. Do you think those sorts of things can have a positive impact? So, for example, talking about the replacing a small car journey by walking, say, to the shop, 
even though it seems like a small thing, do you think actually that small bit of exercise can actually be quite positive to people's health? This really is a global climate emergency and an emergency for the health of our people across the world. Air pollution, we know, is one of the greatest environmental risks to health. And we know that by reducing air pollution levels, countries can reduce the burden of disease, stroke, heart disease, lung cancer and respiratory diseases. And what's frightening is that it's the poorest people in our society who tend to suffer more, both from air pollution and noise pollution. And noise pollution also is a very big determinant of poor health and poor health outcomes. So it's absolutely imperative that we all take action. Any action, no matter how small, can have a positive difference and can spread and encourage others. And just interesting there, because it's not something I knew about before, you, you kind of mentioned noise pollution as well. You know, what are the links there? How does that relate back to ill health, essentially? So environmental noise, and in particular road traffic noise, remains a major environmental problem affecting the health and well-being of people across the world. And long-term exposure to noise can cause sleep disturbance, negative effects on the cardiovascular and metabolic system, as well as cognitive impairment in children. And as children spend more time in bed than adults, they're more exposed to night noise and chronically ill and older people are more sensitive to disturbance, as are shift workers. And yet again, the less affluent who can't live in quiet residential areas or have adequately insulated homes are likely to suffer disproportionately. In terms of food, realistically, what are the ways that you would like to see that improved when it relates to waste and, and things like that? It's clear when I'm at work that in the staff areas there are no recycling for us to dispose of our food waste and it's difficult to make healthy choices that come in sustainable packaging around food. So I think it's imperative that the NHS ensures that patients and staff are provided with healthy, sustainable food choices and where possible that those are locally sourced. So you want to save the planet? We've looked a good bit there at physical health, but what about our mental health? Well, just like anything else, I suppose there's a link to your psychological well-being. And again, you can't let that suffer either. Yeah, I can see a lot of positive benefits. If you feel you're a part of something bigger or that you're having an impact, that makes a lot of people feel good. And that's the sort of feeling I got when I spoke to people at the Eco Village in Fintorn, actually. And these are people that are taking it to the extreme. They are very passionate about a certain way of life. And I imagine for many of them, they wouldn't be happy if they were living in a different way. I think you're right. And that's for sure, because I actually found that so many of these people have a spiritual connection to what they're doing. So let's go back to a conversation I had with two eco-village residents. So my name is Britta Schmitz. I'm from Germany. I've been here now for seven years, and for the five years before that, I lived on the Isle of Arid, that's on the west coast, on the Hebrides. So it's 12 years in total. I'm Cy Balderson. I was a foundation member back in 2011 to 2014. Went away for seven years and then came back this time last year, so I've been back a year. What drew me here was the spiritual aspect. I knew there was like meditations and singing and nature connection and working in a different way. I feel like the 
eco-village aspect was something that for me I opened up to it more through this spiritual gateway I think because it feels like I've always been interested in eco-living so when I was younger like in my teenage years I was vegetarian and bought second-hand clothing and my mom had to drive me to all sorts of like ecological bakeries or something but it was all so far away but then on Arid especially and also here it feels like it's so much easier to embrace this lifestyle that makes to me total sense if you have any kind of spiritual connection I think you also possibly have or I have at least a nature connection and then of course you want to do things that are good for nature for the environment and for the planet so for me it's like a holistic approach I would say so for me it's not I came here because it's an eco village and then it became like this holistic package that I just want to live for me I found my way here after traveling my wife and I, we'd been teaching English abroad for two years. We were surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people in South Korea, living in a multi-storey apartment. And when we came back from that time away, we were finding, wanting to be around groups of like-minded people. We really felt like it was important to come to a place where community was the main reason for being and the combination of wanting to explore our own spiritual paths along with the community. I think that's pretty much what gives rise to this place as an eco-village was that combination of factors of people really wanting to explore that. Our nature connection, how important the environment is around us and how we interact with it as individuals within a group. For me, the community aspect, why it works so well here for me compared to other communities is that we have these shared values like you might have heard about the common ground which is like how do we call them agreements or guidelines we live by you know the main principles are love in action and a listening and co-creation with nature and just feeling and knowing that the people around me are believing in similar things like I do so it's not like we are sharing the same religion or anything like everybody can live these principles, aspects, agreements, whatever you want to call it, guidelines, the way they want to. But it feels so good to feel, okay, there is a set of guidelines, agreements we all sign up to. And, and this is for me like the heart of the community, what kind of holds us all together. What sort of things does it stick out to you that you do that has the biggest impact on the planet in terms of an positive way? For me, I think it's just we are showing as a group of people a slightly different way to the normal. There's a level of consciousness we bring to the choices that we make and that's supported by the agreement, the common ground. The most important thing is that I think all the decisions we make about how we live are conscious. So we might not do everything perfectly fine. Like I, for example, have a car, but it's like the old car of a friend I took off her instead of it being scrapped. So it's like, I'm not perfect. I'm not going everywhere with my bike, but I'm not going out and buy a new car. I take a car that otherwise would be scrapped. So the way I eat. I try to eat as local and organic as possible and if I choose to eat meat I try to go to the local butchers and get a piece of organic meat which happens very rarely so it's not about doing everything completely perfectly fine 
but having the awareness about how my life impacts on the planet and also knowing that I'm surrounded by people who do the same. Even though if we have a wood-burning stove and it's not good to burn the wood, then I know people made their decision in the best possible way. And I think this is what counts for me. I suppose there'll, there'll be people that are listening to our podcast and then we'll be thinking about ways they want to be kinder to the planet and things like that. And, and maybe moving to the eco-village isn't something for them, but what are things that maybe people can do to try and keep that same spirit in terms of mm. looking to look after the planet? For me, it's always just about making conscious choices. It's when we slip into, oh, well, I do that because that's what I've always done or that's what mm. my parents have done or that's the way it always has been. And say, so, okay, is this actually what I want? Does this feel right for me? How do I change it if it doesn't feel right? How do I move more towards it feeling right for me and for the planet? I think for me, it is also about choosing the right step so instead of going like my family lives in Germany so I could go like okay I will never fly again but that would mean how will I ever see them again it would take me a couple of days to travel there and then to recover from it so I think it's a really important thing not to put your aims too high like go like I will only eat organic now or I will only drink oat milk now and no cow's milk and I will never have cheese again just being gently like how much can I replace how much can I eat organic not go like I will do everything right because it blocks you if there is somebody who has not experimented at all with being more eco I think my idea would be like choose one thing you want to try and you feel really excited about go with something that excites you like oh yeah I would like to try oat milk let's try it and if it's good that this is my one commitment that I'm going to follow through and then maybe others will follow so you want to save the planet these guys make this sound so simple and they, I mean, they have completely changed their way of life. But when you listen to them and they speak so passionately about the changes they've made to their life to make it more sustainable, you can't help get drawn up in it and almost kind of want to go and join them. Yeah, I suppose it just becomes so normal when you're living there that this is the way we do things and everyone's the same. But when I was talking to them, you know, there was a lot of things where I was thinking, I could do that in my life, that's not that difficult. And sometimes you make yourself think it's more difficult when you get home because almost it's just things that you do second nature but for them because they've kind of taken that step out there's a new second nature so I'm sure there's some things we can learn from in there that, that aren't too hard to adopt into our own lives. Exactly and that's the whole point of this podcast is for us to figure out what small changes that we can make in our everyday lives that are going to make a huge difference without necessarily having to take it to such extremes. Now one of the ways I am trying to be more sustainable is by cutting out fast fashion in my life, which is what next week's episode is going to be all about. Lewis, are you much into the fashion? I wouldn't say I'm necessarily into fashion. I like to choose what I'm wearing and I'm still like conscious of that, but I'm not, I'm not like into brands so much and things like that. But fast fashion is one that I'm definitely going to feel very guilty about next week because I'm, you know, I'm probably sitting here right now decked out in ASOS stuff. So <laughs> I'm 
say that's one of the areas where I'm more climate conscious, I have to be honest. Well, I'm really excited about next week's episode because as well as some really incredible designers who are working in the sustainable fashion sphere, we also have one of the editors of Grazia magazine coming on to talk to us about what changes we can make to the ways we shop to become more sustainable. The planet and your health.